So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space here in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley. Uh, thank you again for joining me, and indeed my colleagues who have presented another program, uh, another edition of Sacred Space here from uh, Come and See Studios here in Adekamta uh, Limerick. Welcome into the studio again, and thanks for joining us, uh, and good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, John. Good morning, listeners. Thanks a lot for joining us, Anne, and staying with us. And also, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good. Thank you very much indeed. And again, of course, as usual, we do welcome, especially those people who are at home. Um, we meet them. We, we meet them during the week, and we meet them on Sundays, and they send us texts and emails to say how much, how much they, they enjoy listening to the programme, the variety of uh, guests that we have on, uh, uh, but it's all about faith. It's encouraging their faith. So again, we thank our, our, our guests who join us each week, and we keep in mind those people who are sick, um, who are lonely. As we said often in this programme, there's people still searching for some hope. Most of us have a, have the opportunity to get some hope in somewhere in our lives. Some people might be on their own. So we'll try and remember those people this morning as we continue on, which presented, as I said, um, this edition of Sacred Space coming on the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time, uh, the 4th of February. The programme, as you know at this stage, is uh, broadcast on West Limit 102 local radio. Um, it's broadcast, of course, apart from this time, 10 a.m. each Sunday morning, but also repeated at 11 p.m. on Sunday night. And a podcast of this program is available on our blog, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. And again, um, if there's any programs on that particular blog, or if there's any excess problems you might have on that blog with any of our past programs, please give me an email. And that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And I'll pass the message on to Shane, and Shane will fix it. Is that right, Shane? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we'll certainly sort out something for you. So, again, that email is sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And, of course, if you want to write into the local radio station here in Newcastle West uh, to pass a comment on to ourselves, that would be, again, sacredspace, care of West Limit 102, local radio, 102 FM, Station Road, Newcastle West, County Limerick, and their phone number is 069 66200. That's 069 66200. So at this stage, um, Shane, Saints for the Week, you usually have some mm. ones that we're not too sure about, some you go way back <laughs> in history about. Uh, we're going to sit back and see where you're going to take us on this journey this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Right, right, John. Let's see how we go um, on this week's calendar. So, obviously, we're into the first week of February. For, so, for those that are praying the Psalter, we're on week one, and it is the fifth week in ordinary time. Now, looking at the calendar, the 5th of April, uh, February is the feast day of St. Agatha. Now, Agatha is one of the more, uh, how do I put it, is, she's one of the earliest martyrs we have remembered in the Church's history. The problem is we don't actually know an awful lot about her. Mm. Uh, she's very much associated with Naples, no, Sicily, and um, she has been honoured very much since uh, ancient times, and she's one of the seven women who are commemorated in the canon of the Mass, which is Eucharistic Prayer number one. Uh, she was persecuted under one of the persecutions of the Roman emperors, and the local uh, magistrate tried to profit by the fact that she was a Christian, and he tried to blackmail her into uh, sex in exchange 
for not charging her. She refused. Uh, he put her into a brothel. She refused to accept customers. And she was then uh, beaten, imprisoned, tortured. Um, now, for those having their breakfast this morning, just bear with me for a minute. Agatha is normally portrayed sometimes in art holding uh, a plate with her breasts on it because they were supposed to have been cut off during mm. her torture. But it also explains why St. Agatha is the patron saint of those against breast cancer or those who are suffering from breast cancer. So that's the saint that you would want to invoke in that particular situation. Okay. And legend, uh, she's very much associated with Sicily and uh, they often seek her intercession against eruptions of Mount Etna. So she's a patron saint against breast cancer, breast diseases, against earthquakes, uh, uh, bell founders for some reason. I still haven't managed to get to the bottom of that one. Mm-hmm. Nurses and also torture victims. So that's St. Agatha on the 5th of February. Now, on the 6th of February, we have the feast day of Saints Paul, Miki, and companion martyrs, who are martyrs, rather, and they are associated with the city of Nagasaki in Japan. Now, Nagasaki, of course, is associated very much with Hiroshima as the, one of the, as the two cities which were bombed at the end of the Second World War uh, by nuclear bombs from the United States. However, it is an interesting thing. Nagasaki... Uh, for many years and centuries, had a hidden Christian community. Um, they were converted by Jesuits, and eventually then they, the priests were kicked out of Japan. And But the community existed, even though they had no clergy for many, many years. Um, now, and um, part of that is to do with their history, and it's commemorated today with Paul Miki and companions, who were six Franciscans, uh, three Jesuits, and what were called 17 uh, Franciscan tertiaries who were, da- who, were, who were tortured and killed, suspended from crosses around 1597. So that's who we commemorate on the 6th of February. On the 7th of February, we have someone from the Irish calendar, and it is St. Mel. And St. Mel died in 488, and he's said to have been a Briton who came to Ireland with St. Patrick, with whom he worked until he was ordained bishop in the Diocese of Arda. And he's one of the earliest Irish saints. And he's associated, obviously, uh, given the month that's in it, he's associated with St. Bridget because he's supposed to have been the bishop who gave St. Bridget the veil uh, when she took her vows. And, of course, we celebrated St. Bridget last uh, Thursday. Then on the 8th of February, we celebrate the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. And one of the reasons we celebrate that on the 8th of February is because it is the feast day of St. Josephine Bachita. Josephine Bachita died in 1947. She was a native of what we now call Sudan. Uh, well, actually, Darfur, to be precise. And she was brought as a slave, um, brought as a slave to Italy, where she became a Christian and was subsequently um, released from her slavery and later entered the Institute of the Canonician Daughters of Charity in Venice. And St. Bakita, I came across St. Bakita during my time in Sudan. She is one of the few saints, modern saints of North Africa. And she she was very much um, a very gentle presence, a warm presence in her community uh, where she lived in Venice until about 1947. Uh, she's the patron saint of those who have been trafficked and patron saint, obviously, of North Sudan as well. So that's St. Josephine Bachita. 
And we also pray for those, because the issue of trafficking of human persons, slavery is not something which has disappeared. The estimates are that there's two and a half million people a year uh, who are victims of trafficking and slavery in the world today. So it's not something which has gone away. Then on the 9th of February, we have the feast day of another Irish saint. Now, I went digging for this guy. Um, It's Blessed Marianus Scotus. Now, the Scotus would tell you that he's Irish. Um, He is an 11th century saint, born in County Donegal. And he is associated, um, actually, with parts of Germany. He was a pilgrim to Rome in 1067, but he never made it. Because as he passed through Michaelsburg in Germany, he was asked to help copy some manuscripts for a monastery. And he was very much associated as, as um, a scribe. And he also founded the Abbey of St. Peter's Abbey at Rattensbon in 1078 and served as his first abbey, abbot even. So not a saint that we would associate with the Irish calendar, very well known in Ireland, but very much associated with that part of Germany. Legend has it that one evening uh, the women who prepared lamps suddenly overslept and she woke others to help her and they went to his room. And he sat without candle or lamp, writing with his right hand and holding his left in the air, and which from which a, a light shone, illuminating his work. Wow. So just you know, just just gentle, gentle uh, stories like that uh, that associated with some of the saints that we have on the calendar this week. And finally, <clears throat> finally, on the tenth of February, we have the feast day of Saint Scholastica. Now, Saint Scholastica is an interesting saint, John. She is the sister of St. Benedict, mm. uh, the, uh, of the founder of the, you know, the Benedictines, the man that wrote the rule of St. Benedict. Yeah. And she spent her life as a consecrated virgin, and she died in uh, 543. And, of course, she's very much associated with her brother. And uh, one of the interesting things was one of the days that Benedict was uh, visiting his sister, and in compliance with the rules he had set, he had to get back to the monastery for prayers, and Scholastica is said to have prayed to God, and a huge storm came um, to, to, to keep him there visiting her. And it was just a reminder to Benedict that while rules are important, sometimes relationships are just as important uh, in terms of dealing with God. Now, just to note, the 11th of February is next Sunday. Now, mm. it is a Sunday, but normally it would be the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. Mm. However... Um, and it's also the World Day of the Sick, World Day of Prayer for the Sick. Now, it's because it's a Sunday, the feast day is not observed this year on the liturgical calendar. So there's no celebration as such for the feast day Our Lady of Lourdes next week. However, the exception to that would be parishes or churches that are dedicated to Our Lady of Lourdes who would still have the feast day. Uh, in addition, it's also the feast day of St. Gobbler, so obviously that's not celebrated either this year as well. So that's just for anyone that might be interested. But the World Day of the Sick and the Pope's message for the World Day of the Sick has still been and will be mentioned on the 11th. So that's who we have, John, in terms of this week's uh, liturgical calendar. For those that are keeping count, um, it's just over a week to the start of Lent because Lent this year falls on the 14th of February. Now, people might be saying, hmm, what is it about the 14th of February that rings a bell? <laughs> and 14th of February, obviously, of course, in the liturgical calendar and in the more, uh, how would, shall I put it, hallmark calendar is Valentine's Day. 
So we'll talk about that next Sunday uh, on next weekend's program. But just to flag it to people, the, the the Lent actually takes precedence over Valentine's Day, folks. So you are asked actually to maintain the day of fast and abstinence. So you can be thinking about that in the week ahead, and maybe postponing uh, the celebration of Saint Valentine's to either the day before or the day <laughs> after. Uh, but just something, just something to bear in mind. Or you could do something completely original and unique. Instead of going out for a steak, why don't you go and have a piece of fish? <laughs> okay, Shane, we'll see how we go with all of that. Thanks for the advice. By the way, Shane, I've got to ask you, that mm-hmm. saint that saint you mentioned there on Friday, the one with the very Irish name you mentioned. Um, uh, on Friday, yes. Where did you dig up that? Where do you dig up some of these <laughs> saints? Well, now, John, it's interesting. You, there's, there's many resources available when you go looking for saints online. <laughs> I'd say that. Uh, because there is, there is actually, if you, look at, if you actually look to the calendars, we, we've spoken about the calendars before. You have what's called the universal calendar, which would be, say, the calendar from Rome. But then each country can have its own particular calendar. And then just the listing of saints, um, the, the, the record, the, the, there is about 10,000 saints listed uh, on the, what's called the martyrology of the church. And obviously, you can't celebrate every saint every day. And um, you know, even when I go online and I'm looking at particular saints' days, there are some days where I could have 15, 16, 17 uh, yeah, particular saints yeah, given. Yeah. Uh, so it just depends. I, I, you know, on that type of scenario, I generally try to find an Irish saint as much as possible for the program. Thank you very much indeed, Shane. Again, thank you, sir. Okay, um, just speaking about Lent, next week on the program, we are going to welcome back again Father Luke McNamara. Because in Glenstall, um, and Father Luke will obviously be mentioned this to us, as uh, starting on the 18th of February for a number of Sundays, they will, uh, they're going to host some readings or reflections of the readings of the Easter Vigil. So Father Luke, of course, will give us more information on that, but that will be taking place at 4.30pm in the Glenstall Abbey Library, be followed by refreshments. All are welcome to join the, the community for Vespers at 6pm, and the suggested donation is 5pm. But as I said, Father Luke McNamara will remind us about that next week, because he's going to join us for the programme. John, people... if I could just jump in there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, just, uh, just something I wanted to flag to people. Um... Sometimes on the program we mention the general audiences which the Pope holds every Wednesday in St. Peter's Square or uh, in the 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 the, the Saint Paul Pope Paul the Sixth Paul exactly thank mm. you anyway just people might not be aware but at the moment the series the reflections that Pope Francis are doing is on the Mass itself and just it's an interesting one because I know because we deal with Lectio Divina but also because many people and many listeners might be um, readers in the church. Um, the, 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 the general audience this week gone, just on the 31st of January, dealt with the whole issue of the liturgy of the word and Pope Francis's reflections on how to be a good reader at Mass and to be able to break open the, the, the word for people that attend uh, the, the liturgy. So for those that are readers, actually, I would highly recommend, or those involved in the liturgy of the word, I would highly recommend that they would read Pope Francis's uh, general audience from this week. It's available on vaticannews.va and Zenit carries it at zenit.com uh, for those that have access online as well. 
Sure, thanks a lot for that. I thought that for the second you were going to suggest that maybe I go over for one of these audiences as a junket and bring over my recorder. And <laughs> see. Well, anyway, no, there's an easy way of doing it. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Okay, uh, I just want to just flag uh, just two things. First of all, um, Shane just mentioned there about A Lady of Lewis next Sunday. And there will be live mass from the Shrine of Our Lady of Lewis on EWTN. And that starts next Sunday at uh, 9 a.m. So it'll be on for two hours. You'll have to juggle between listening to ourselves and also live Mass from Lewis next Sunday, 9am. And just continuing with Lewis there for a second, uh, Bernadette, the Saint of Lewis, the life of Saint Bernadette, uh, Subru, the peasant girl of Lewis, France, to whom Our Lady appeared in 1858 and revealed herself as the Immaculate Conception. There's a programme on that next Sunday again uh, for half an hour, and that starts at 330 just something there that just crossed my mind that, uh, that I just noted there. Um, Noreen Lynch sends out uh, these newsletters uh, um, each each week, uh, Wednesday actually, um, letting people know what's on around the place. And this week she got a number of them on in uh, regard to come and see, thinking about the priesthood, for instance, is one and the 23rd, 24th of February um, 2018 in the Palatine College in Thurlis. From six thirty, from six p.m. on Friday to three p.m. on Saturday, this is an event for men discerning priesthood, aging between eighteen and forty, to come and see. Begins Friday, February twenty-third, with dinner at six p.m., followed by informal chat, discussion, and prayer. Meet others who are discerning priesthood and some recently ordained priests. Stay overnight, and on Saturday morning there will be prayer, breakfast, and discussion. There'll be time for adoration with Mass at 11.30, followed by lunch at 12.30. And the final discussion and departure will be at 3 p.m. Advanced booking is required. Um, so if, you, if you're interested in that at all, the suggestion is you contact your local parish priest or vocations director. And just as that is, Angie, all, Nolan also advises of vocation discernment weekends with the, Domin- with the Dominican um, contemplative nuns. Uh, and that's from March the 9th to the 11th of March 2018. And they will be taken actually in Drahada. And there's a contact name uh, there, which is Sister Sister Breda. Um, and her email is sienna3 at aircom.net. But again, if you get the newsletter, if you, if you want to get the newsletter from Noreen Lynch, if you found up Noreen, I think it's 061 Four hundred one three three or something, and I forget the exact number uh, of the pastoral centre. But Noreen will arrange to send out that newsletter. It's full of news. Anyway, at this particular stage, and you might be able to help us out here with praying a communion prayer for those people who can't receive Jesus at mass this morning. But this spirit of communion prayer is a prayer we can all share with them. Thanks, Anne. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I cannot now receive you sacramentally. Come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. So now we'll go for our first bit of music this morning, and this one is uh, by Angelina, and it's entitled The Deer's Cry. Unfortunately, we cannot bring you our planned interview in part two this morning. So instead, I'm going to play um, a recording that I made in the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, where uh, where I interviewed um, the Reverend Canon Stephen Gallagher, who is the assistant administrator and youth minister in the Anglican shrine in the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham. 
So I'll invite you to, to listen to that in part two, and then we'll return again for the Gospel Reflection in part three. But in the meantime, um, we'll listen to the Dear Scribe Angelina. Sacred Space. So welcome back again to Sacred Space. Uh, my name is John Keeley. Uh, nice to have you join us again this morning for a program that's a little bit different. Um, I'm, I'm on a travels in, in, in the UK, in a place in, in North Norfolk, and I'm speaking to my father, Stephen. Uh, as, that's as much as I know about where I am or who I'm speaking to. Well, welcome to the programme, Father Stephen. Well, thank you. It's great to be uh, on your programme, and it's great to welcome you to the Anglican Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham here in North Norfolk. Anglican Shrine in North Norfolk. Well, I tell you something, it, it, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful day, first of all. The Lord has sent the graces for the beautiful day. But it seems to be a, a, a place of living faith. But before we go there, let me go back to... Walsingham, a lady of Walsingham and the shrine of Walsingham. Maybe there's people back home in Ireland wouldn't be aware of that. Can you fill us in with a few details on how it all started? Well, yes, hmm? certainly. Um, pilgrimage to Walsingham goes back to uh, 1061, uh, okay. when uh, the uh, noble lady of the manor, the Lady Rochelle de Stafavesh, a very devout Catholic lady, uh-huh. and had a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin. Uh, and she was rewarded with a vision okay. in which she was transported in spirit to the Holy House of Nazareth by Mary uh, to the place where Mary grew up but perhaps more importantly to the place where Mary received the angel Gabriel's visitation uh, and that wonderful invitation to become the mother of God's son our Lord Jesus Christ so from there so so she had this vision she had this vision Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a second part to it Mm -hmm. Uh, she was granted a vision of a spring of water 
and she believed that the vision was so vivid that Mary was inviting her to recreate the Holy House of Nazareth here in Walsingham. Uh, and she believed that the spring of water was calling her uh, to, uh, the vision of the spring of water was calling her to, uh, to build the Holy House where she found a spring of water. And just wondering, if she's had to share this story with people, with members of the church, whoever, I wonder what sort of reaction she would have got if she's, if she's had to speak, to speak these visions to people. Well, uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the, uh, she set her builders to work, and okay. uh, they couldn't get the house to build because the ground was too wet. And she prayed again. She thought maybe she'd got it wrong. Okay. And uh, she was granted a third vision, uh, a vision of angels who took her to the spot where they tried to build. And there uh, we're told that uh, the holy house had been built more beautifully than her builders could ever have made it. Uh, And um, you talked about how people reacted to this, how people got to know about it. Uh, News of uh, Walsingham spread uh, through a ballad, uh, a medieval ballad, uh, became known as the Pinson Ballad. Uh, And news of Walsingham spread throughout the land by balladeers going round, singing of the holy house of of Nazareth here in in Walsingham. And pilgrims came. So much so that within uh, a very short time, uh, the little holy house wasn't big enough to cater for the amount of pilgrims that came to Walsingham. So Richelde's son, Geoffrey de Faverge, built a huge abbey uh, next to the holy house and built a structure over the holy house to protect it and invited Augustinian canons to come uh, and look after the pilgrims and say mass for the pilgrims. Which they duly did. Which they duly did. And that continued right up until the Reformation uh, in fifteen, well, thir- 1538. What intrigues me there was these balladeers would travel throughout the countryside, whereas these days we expect to read it on the internet or papers or magazines. But no, this is all word of mouth. Word of and mouth, this would yeah. have travelled a long way away from, from Walsingham. Right throughout the country, yeah. So this and pilgrimage, of course, in those days was a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, and pilgrimage to the Holy Land uh, was, was, was a really big thing. Massive, but obviously yeah. uh, Walsingham was somewhere that was more accessible. Uh, pilgrims could get here more easily uh, and they came and uh, they stopped uh, a mile from Walsingham okay. and they took off their shoes because they believed they were walking on holy ground and the little chapel uh, that was set up there uh-huh. is now uh, the Roman Catholic National Shrine it's okay. known as the Slipper Chapel okay. and, uh, and that was where pilgrims stopped to rest a while before they made the last bit of the journey barefoot, barefoot. believing they were walking on holy ground because Mary had appeared here and I believe it wasn't just ordinary folk, too, that came on pilgrimage. I mean, there were royalty. Royalty uh, have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, the destroyer of the shrine, Henry VIII, yes. himself came to Walsingham to pray uh, for the gift of a son. Uh, and royalty, regular visitors uh, to the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham. And his dear wife, too, um, Catherine of Aragon, That's I believe, right. would have been here, too. That's right. And somebody told me a story that, uh, that Henry... Uh, brought um, pearls or some some jewellery here too and, and left it at the shrine at one particular stage. I suspect he probably did. That was a, a great part of uh, pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. People left gifts mm. uh, and in fact still do to this day. Uh, you know, we, we still have gifts left around the shrine, particularly in the, in the sepulchre in the garden. Uh, people come and leave their gifts oh, in thanksgiving. So it came around to the Reformation. At that particular time, just let folks know back home, um, the Catholic Church um, was under a certain amount of 
uh, we'll say persecution persecution but there's a little bit of pressure and um, there were certain cathedrals and certain churches just being destroyed we one of our on a recent visit here we visited Peterborough Cathedral and again we found that that, that was partly destroyed too because so did Walsingham survive okay through through the Reformation or, or after Reformation well sort of hmm. um in uh, 1534, uh, because uh, Henry was uh, was keen to make sure that the succession yes. uh, of the Tudor dynasty continued, and, yes. and Catherine couldn't bear him a son, mm. uh, and uh, that was his his. Uh, he, that's why he came to pray. Yes, he came to pray for the gift of a son, mm. uh, and when that wasn't granted, he wanted a divorce, and of course the Pope was was not prepared to grant yes, a divorce, yes. okay. and uh, so Henry uh, removed himself from the Church, declared himself supreme head of the Church in England mm. uh, in 1530. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the in the following years, uh, sent his troops around the country uh, to ensure that uh, the monks and priests of the church mm-hmm. uh, accepted him as yes, head of the yes, church in yes, England. Yes. And some did, and some, of course, refused to. And here in Walsingham, the troops came in 1538, uh, and some of the monks uh, accepted Henry. As, mm-hmm. as head of the church, uh, others refused, and they mm-hmm. were put to death on uh, what's known as Martyr's Field at the top of the village. Okay. Uh, the sub-prior, Thomas Milam, was one of them, and several of the monks refused to accept Henry as head of the church, and they were hung, drawn, and quartered uh, Not on, a very nice... on Martyr's Field. Mm-hmm. Not a nice way to go. No. And, of course, the Holy House was destroyed, the huge abbey was destroyed, leaving only the east arch uh, of, the, of the abbey. And, uh, and to add insult to injury... The rubble was used to fill in the well oh. that the pilgrims drank from. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so therefore pilgrimages ceased then? And, and well, uh, the ballad uh, tells us, we, we have a pilgrim hymn that we get from, uh, it's, mm. it's kind of based on the ballad, mm. uh, tells us that uh, a thin stream of pilgrims still trod the old way. Uh, even though there was no holy house to uh, see, uh, uh, uh. no well to drink the water mm-hmm. from, uh, pilgrims still came. Mm. Uh, Obviously not in great numbers, but pilgrims still came, believing this to be holy ground. But, they, but, but did they have to be careful, just in case? I mean, if they were found out? To, to, to they had, obviously had to be careful, pressure. yeah. yeah. So therefore, did, 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 the, um, did the shrine just kind of go away? Uh, well, it, 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 it kind of did, for uh, for about four, nearly 400 years. Wow, that's a long time. Okay. And um, in 1921, mm-hmm. uh, an Anglican priest, uh, believing very firmly uh, in the church before the Reformation mm. came to uh, believing he was called here not just to be parish priest of Walsingham mm. but called here to restore the pre-Reformation church here in Walsingham and he believed he was called to restore pilgrimage uh, to England's Nazareth mm. and so uh, he came as vicar in 1921 the first thing he did was had an image of Our Lady of Walsingham carved uh, using the seal from the medieval priory. He knew what Our Lady of Walsingham looked like mm-hmm. from that seal, and uh, he had that image carved and placed in St Mary's Church, the parish church, uh, by, I think, about July 1922. Okay. So it, it was important to him to restore Our Lady of Walsingham to her place here in, in Walsingham and began encouraging pilgrimage to the image of Our Lady of Walsingham, to the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, which was in St Mary's Church. Okay. How was this accepted by his own local parishioners? I mean, this is something new to them. Uh, I'm not so sure about the parishioners. Mm. Uh, pilgrims started to come. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, largely from London, where he'd been a parish priest. Okay. And um, 
and news of it got to the diocese and the diocesan bishop. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the 1920s, there was still a lot of anti-Roman Catholic fervour mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the Church of England, mm-hmm. uh, even though the hierarchy had been restored uh, in 1850, That's some right, yeah. what 70-odd mm-hmm. years before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But there was still a lot of um, mm-hmm. suspicion of anything that mm-hmm. smacked of the mm-hmm, Romish mm-hmm, Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the bishop of the time, Bertrand Pollock, uh, came storming out, we're told, from the palace in Norwich <laughs> uh, and ordered... Father Hope Patton, yes. to remove the image of Our Lady of Walsingham from the parish church and desist the practice of encouraging pilgrimage to the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham. Now, unwittingly, mm-hmm. uh, Bertrand Pollock, Bishop of Norwich, trying to destroy pilgrimage to the shrine yes, of Our Lady yes. of Walsingham was in fact the catalyst for it taking off again. Uh, mm-hmm. And in, uh, na- by 1931, uh, Father Hope Patton had acquired uh, the money and the land uh, to rebuild the Holy House of Nazareth uh, on the site that it is today. So people power, ra- rather than the bishop exactly. getting, getting his Well, he knew on. he had to find somewhere where the bishop had no authority. <laughs> yes, okay. So he knew he had to set up a private chapel. So okay. uh, whether he came uh, thinking he would restore the Holy mm-hmm, House, mm-hmm, I'm not sure. Not sure. I rather suspect it was the bishop's intervention yes, that forced his that hand. Forced his hand. And, uh, and, and from that moment on, he, he, he vowed to... Uh, to rebuild the Holy House of England's Nazareth so that uh, Our Lady of Walsingham could have a home once again in her proper place, Mm -hmm. uh, as close to the original uh, as she could. And and, and that's, of course, what he did. And by the 15th of October, 1931, uh, in great procession, Our Lady of Walsingham was processed through the streets of Walsingham from the parish church to her current resting place in the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, which, of course, became the Anglican shrine. And so to this day now, there's the, it continues to be a massive place for pilgrimage. Absolutely. Uh, 1931, pilgrimage started again. Mm-hmm. Uh, people came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, interestingly, uh, Father Hope Patton couldn't imagine restoring the Holy House without the well. And, of course, when he was looking for uh, the site to build the Holy House, as close as he could to the original, mm-hmm. we're told he went round with a divining stick, <laughs> yes. looking for the water. Looking for the water, yeah. And sure enough, when they excavated the ground there, they found the spring and a medieval well that had been filled in. Wow. And I suspect several wells had grew up around the original to, to cater for the number of pilgrims uh, that came here, and he clearly found one of, those, one of those wells. And so from that time, pilgrims could come to Walsingham, mm-hmm. honour Our Lady's yes to God uh, and be pointed to her by her to the water of life who we believe symbolically as uh, she points to her son Jesus Christ the water of life and is, is the shrine is there a message in the shrine for a lady I mean is it is it something to do with the annunciation or the visitation or yeah, I, I, I mean the Holy House is the house of the Annunciation. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and mm, and uh, if you if you look at the Holy House when you come through the main doors of the Shrine Church, mm. which of course would have been the only doors uh, in of 1931. Course. Yes, okay. Uh, the, the, the church in 1931 was just literally the Holy House mm-hmm. and the well mm-hmm. with with the little church built over it. Uh, if you came through the doors uh, in 1931, you would be confronted immediately. Uh, by the sculpture that's still there today by Della Robbia of the Annunciation, Annunciation. a beautiful almost life-size reminder of what the Holy House stands for and that is to point every single pilgrim that comes here to the moment when Mary said yes to God and challenge them to follow her example. 
Yes, that's the challenge. Uh, and then, of course, Pilgrim's appointed by Mary, as Richeldis was in 1061, to the water. Yes. Uh, we believe she wasn't just pointing to H2O, but pointing to her son, Jesus Christ, the one Good who enough. said of himself, he was the water of life. And Pilgrim started to come. Mm-hmm. But, of course, in 39, uh, the war broke out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly... Pilgrimage kind of went on the back burner for a bit, having just begun to take off again. uh, Pilgrimage went on the back burner again for the war years, though people still came to pray. Uh, But clearly after the war, um, pilgrimage took off again. There was an increase in popular piety. People wanted to give thanks for safe deliverance. uh, and, And pilgrims started to come in such numbers that clearly, a bit like the original yeah. uh, back in, in, in the Middle Ages, mm. the little shrine wasn't big enough to cope with the number of pilgrims that mm. came. Mm. Uh, Father Hope Patton was still here until his death in 1958, oh. so mm. resolved to uh, enlarge the shrine mm. uh, and placed around it 15 chapels, uh, one for each mystery of the rosary, wow. and also dedicated to various uh, uh, saints that he had special devotions mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. So there's a chapel around the church for each of the uh, 15 mysteries of the rosary. Uh, and uh, by his death in 15, uh, in 1938, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, 1958, uh, too many dates, I'll get my dates That's right okay. there, right, yeah. uh, By his death in 58, yeah. the shrine would have looked pretty much almost as it, as it does today. Now, you just mentioned the rosary, so therefore that uh, that brings me to what what happens when someone comes here on pilgrimage? Uh, what type of people come and, and what do they do when they're here? Well, pilgrims come here uh, from all over the world. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we get not just Anglican pilgrims, we mm. get uh, Roman Catholic pilgrims, yeah. we get pilgrims from the, the Church of South India, uh, lots of Tamils come, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they all come to uh, the Holy House mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, there they believe there is something very special mm. and they come to receive the water mm. uh, which is very much bound up with the story so uh, every pilgrimage would involve a visit to the holy house mm-hmm. and we call that a first visit uh, and then sprinkling at the well and sprinkling at the well occurs each day uh, at 2.30 uh, so the pilgrims who come here even for the day mm. uh, can come to the well uh, mm. and receive the water from the well uh, and they, they drink the water as a sign of the Lord's desire to fill them with his life and love Mm. and spirit, the water of his life. They're marked with the sign of the cross on their forehead Mm -hmm. as a reminder of their baptism into the fellowship of Christ's church or as a reminder that Christ came to die uh, for all, to rise again, Mm -hmm. uh, that we might be free, liberated from our sins. And then finally, water's poured over their outstretched hands as a sign of God's bountiful goodness poured out upon us day by day. And right from the earliest times, pilgrims have believed that the waters here in Walsingham, used in faith, can bring healing. Uh, We constantly have people telling us that they believe that they have received healings by receiving the water here in Walsingham. So pilgrims might use the water to touch a part of them uh, that's in need of healing. So those are the important uh, aspects of Mm -hmm. pilgrimage, but also uh, they would come and do the Stations of the Cross, they would come and have Mass each day, Uh, you know, the traditional pilgrimage devotions, and of course the, the daily rosary. Uh, is is prayed here uh, and we pray it for the needs of the world the sick mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. departed uh, you mm-hmm. know for special intentions that people offer week by week we collect those up and we pray them week by week uh, during uh, what we call shrine prayers uh, at six o'clock each day typically how long will, will the pilgrimage last i mean can they come here for a few for a day or a few days or uh, we have uh, eleven thousand resident pilgrims each year at well, the Anglican Shrine. Well, okay. uh, we, can, we can sleep uh, over 200 
people at any one time. And uh, they come uh, for the midweek pilgrimage, which w- would be Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. uh, and then the weekend pilgrimage, which is Friday to Sunday. And that's a rolling program uh, week by week throughout the pilgrimage season, which is pretty much most of the year. Mm-hmm. It's only December and January when we don't run the pilgrimage really. season. Yeah. One of the things I suppose uh, that listeners uh, that sort of listeners of sacred space w- might have been um, inclined a little bit more deeper when you mentioned that uh, here you have mass and you have the rosary and the sort of people wouldn't connect those sort of devotions or mass to the Anglican Church, hmm. but this is this is typical. This this is every day for you. This is every day. Um, yeah. Um, Father Hope Patton um, believed that he was called here to restore the church to its former glory before the Reformation. Yes, yes. Uh, he came from the Anglo-Catholic tradition mm-hmm. of the Church of England, mm-hmm. who very much believe in that ethos. Yes. Uh, and we keep that ethos going day by day mm-hmm. here. Uh, we believe in the Church Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know we're separated by mm-hmm. uh, an act of a king a long time ago. Yep, yep, uh, yep. And, uh, uh, but we believe in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and, and we pray one day for its, its unity, uh, that Anglicans and Roman Catholics can once again uh, be one. One of the beautiful experiences that that uh, that we had when we visited last night was uh, there was a, what I would suggest was, was a healing service. But the Blessed Sacrament, as we were called, it was exposed, mm-hmm. and people were sitting there in, in, in reverence mm-hmm. and, and prayer. And then during that, then there were various people ministering to people in terms of laying on hands and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. This happens. Every week, or yes, th- this happens twice a week um, mm-hmm. for the resident pilgrims. Uh, once on a Saturday night for the weekend pilgrims, mm-hmm. uh, and on a Tuesday night for uh, for the midweek pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have uh, a service of uh, healing and reconciliation in the presence of of the Blessed Sacrament, where there is the opportunity uh, to receive the laying on of hands with prayer mm-hmm. uh, for whatever needs the pilgrim brings yes. uh, for themselves and perhaps for another. Mm. someone who they might carry here on their hearts who's in particular need they can receive the laying on of hands for that person too Uh, they can receive anointing of the sick the sacrament of anointing uh, and also the opportunity for the sacrament of reconciliation Uh, and all these ministries are explained uh, during the service because for some Anglicans they're not familiar with that we get uh, pilgrims across the the, the whole breadth of Anglicanism Mm -hmm. Uh, and some who perhaps are not from the Anglo-Catholic tradition are less familiar with those practices Mm -hmm. and so we kind of explain them quite fully so that people can fully understand what it is uh, that's happening Uh, and as I say all those uh, ministries are offered in the shadow uh, of the blessed sacrament our Lord kind of presiding uh, Mm. over what's happening channeling his healing grace through those uh, frail earthen vessels offering themselves for ministry in his name it's the Lord working through them all the time absolutely and then I also heard you say, um, mention about the praying of the stations of the cross. Again, this is another devotion that we wouldn't necessarily associate. Is that, um, I mean, people just pray the stations of the cross on, the, on their own or maybe within a group? Or? No, they would do it with their group. Each, each parish group that comes here, it's very much part of the, uh, the pilgrimage devotion. Mm-hmm. Each parish group, whether they have a priest with them or not, would, would book their, their slot Mm. Uh, to do Stations of the Cross. Mm. Uh, for instance, this morning, uh, we had them going out in quarter of an hour intervals. Okay. Uh, and that's often the case on yes. a Saturday morning yes. too for the yes. weekend programs. Okay. Uh, and either they'd be led by their priest or a layperson uh, as, they, as they work their way. And uh, as you've seen, we have beautiful garden 
gardens here mm, and uh, the mm. huge stations of the cross all the way around the gardens mm. and, uh, and and pilgrims would, would regularly uh, do that devotion as, as pilgrim groups. Just before we finish the interview, is there a special day for a Lady of Walshingham, where you, where you, where you honour a Lady of Walshingham? Uh, we, we have several, actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the feast day of Our Lady of Walsingham, uh, which is uh, not too far away, on the 24th of September, mm-hmm. uh, is a big day for us. Uh, but our national pilgrimage is mm-hmm. on the 2nd May Bank Holiday Monday, okay. uh, which is, uh, we go back to the site of the original. Uh, so okay. uh, we have an open air pilgrimage, mm-hmm. which uh, these days attracts about three thousand people. Not as big as it used to be. In its heyday, mm-hmm. it was about ten thousand. Well, uh, but transportation costs and elderly pilgrims mm-hmm. for a day it's a long way to Walsingham mm-hmm. uh, for most people. Uh, but we, we're about three thousand people for the national pilgrimage, which is an open air pilgrimage on the site of the original abbey, uh, and we probably had for that uh, about twenty bishops. And over 200 priests concelebrating the Mass well, well, on that day well. uh, with, uh, with about 3,000 pilgrims. You mentioned there, um, uh, you know, that, that some people, because of age, maybe wake me up to come and so on and so forth. And that prompts me to ask you what sort of age profile would you get here anyway? Would you get many young people or teenagers? Or what, what, what we have uh, on the normal um, weekend pilgrimage and midweek pilgrimage, we tend to have. Uh, Older pilgrims, shall okay, we yeah. say, mm-hmm. uh, largely because uh, for the midweek pilgrimage, obviously uh, young people at work, well, college, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mm. school, even, uh, and for the weekend pilgrimage, most groups, because of Walsingham's distance from anywhere, mm-hmm. have to leave kind of on Friday morning, and yes. it's very difficult these days for young people uh, and children to get time off school or yeah. college mm-hmm. uh, to be able to come. So mm. what we do is we have age-appropriate pilgrimages. Okay. For uh, well, we, we try and cover all the age ranges. Uh, we have a children's pilgrimage which covers primary school children. Uh, that's usually okay. in Lent. Okay. Uh, in at the end of July, we have a youth pilgrimage, uh, and these are in fact my responsibility. I'm the youth missioner here at Walsingham, as okay. well as the assistant administrator, uh, and so I have responsibility for these pilgrimages. Um, uh, coming up in July, at the end of July, uh, and I'm working madly on it as we speak. Uh, we have our youth pilgrimage, which will attract about 700 young people. Uh, and that's a camping pilgrimage on a field just outside uh, the village. I'm sure that's a very quiet time. Oh, it's very quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <That was laughs> uh, they're quite boisterous. Uh, first week of the school holidays, so you can imagine. They yeah, want to let off steam. But that's a great event. We have a, a professional worship band, a Roman Catholic worship band, uh, as it happens, who come and lead the, the, the uh. musical worship at that. Uh, and it's a, a very special event. Uh, we have daily mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the healing ministries, uh, sprinkling at the well, mm-hmm. all of the normal pilgrimage devotions, mm-hmm. but done in a very youth-friendly way. Beautiful. And then we have a, uh, also have a pilgrimage later on in the year for 18 to 30s. I call it Club 18 to 30 Walsh. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So we, we have the, uh, the older young people uh, who come on that. So we try and cover all the age ranges with special pilgrimages. Uh, for the young people, recognising how difficult it is for them uh, to come on their parish pilgrimage. So, so the only really I can say, just to finish up, is it seems to be a place where it offers a variety of whatever one might want, but more importantly, a lot of places to contemplate. There's lovely little gardens and seats around yeah. the place, secluded away. Yeah. And if you just want to just meditate for a little while. It's fine, and also on the site, I believe there's a restaurant too. And there is, yeah. So we have facilities a cafe bar. Are there. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is organised, which is open to anybody. That's open to people uh, to come in off the street as well, as, as the whole shrine is. But it is, uh, you know, people have described Walsingham as a thin place. Mm. Uh, 
the walls between heaven and earth being very thin here. And uh, people tell us constantly that they can find God here in a way that they can never find at home. And I guess that's why they come on pilgrimage. Uh, they leave their troubles behind. Mm. Uh, a pilgrim said to me not too long ago, we, uh, you probably came in through the big red brick arch yes. into the shrine gardens. A pilgrim said to me not long ago, uh, when I walk through that big red brick arch, yeah. it's as if all my troubles fall away. And she said, I picked them up on a Sunday afternoon. They're still there. Yeah. But I picked them up with a very different spirit. Isn't that lovely? And uh, I think for me that sums up what Wall Sam's all about. Just before maybe you might share a prayer with us just to finish off, your message or the message of Walsingham would be what? What would you say the message of Walsingham is? Walsingham is a place where Mary points us to her son Jesus and helps us follow her example of staying close to Jesus, mm. following him through thick and thin, mm-hmm. as Mary had to, yeah, she had to uh, yeah. mm. and, uh, and being there with him right to the end and having him there with us uh, and recognising that he's alongside us all the time uh, throughout all our difficulties. Walsingham gives pilgrims the strength to go back to their daily lives, whatever it is they face, and sometimes pilgrims come with some really heavy burdens, yes. uh, renewed and reinvigorated in the love and joy of the Lord. Father Stephen, just, just to finish off the interview, would you say a prayer for us, please? I will. Reflect in this whole walls and come. I will. Yes, thank you. Okay. So in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us, for this wonderful place of Walsingham, this beautiful shrine of Our Lady, where we are reminded to follow Mary's example of being open to you, obedient to your word and ready to do your will. Give us the grace daily to strive to follow Mary's example and let us bring Jesus to birth daily in the world as she did. We ask this through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father Stephen, thank you so much for bringing this wonderful message of Walshingham to Sacred Space, to the people back in West Limerick. And if people want to get here, all they've got to do is look at the map and look for Norfolk, isn't that right? That's North, exactly North right. Island, just beyond Kings Lynn, That's right. Walshingham. And as for, Steve, for Father Stephen, and I'm sure Father Stephen will have a wonderful welcome to you. They'll receive a very warm welcome. Father Stephen, God bless you and thank you for your work. God bless you too. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye. Sacred Space. So, welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space. As I said, my name is John Keeley, still joined in studio here by Anne, and Shane joins us uh, on the Skype line, where we have time this particular week to, to read in a very short reflection on the Gospel. But before that, and we'll pray this prayer before we, before we always read and reflect on Scripture. Thank you, Anne. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity our lives may be transformed by it. 
Let's not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let our eyes not let our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. So the Gospel for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus went with James and John straight to the house of Simon and Andrew. Now Simon's mother-in-law had gone to bed with fever, and they told him about her straight away. He went to her, took her by the hand and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait in them. That evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed by devils. The whole town came, crowding round the door, and he cured many who were suffering from diseases of one kind or another. He also cast out many devils. But he, would not, but he would not allow them to speak, because they knew who, who he was. In the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house, and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. Simon and his companions set out in search of him, and when they found him, they said, Everybody is looking for you. And he answered, Let us go elsewhere, to the neighbouring towns, so that I can preach there too, because that's why I came. And he went all through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out devils. That's the gospel for today, uh, for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, sorry about this now, but um, you, you got about a minute and a half to give us a, a quick <laughs> little... All right, two-minute stretch, and that's it. Okay, so obviously we're keeping going through Mark's gospel this week. Uh, Mark's gospel is very much a continuation Short, precise, quick uh, uh, little snippets each week that we'll hear because it's a quite a short gospel. This week's gospel, I suppose, John, the thing that jumped out for me was the follow-on from last week where he was in Capernaum. People had gotten to know him. His name had gone around. It is at the end of the same day where he had preached. And suddenly, after the Sabbath had ended, people came looking for healing. And Jesus had been open to them, had been welcoming them, but and had been very much reaching out, as as Pope Francis says, reaching out to those on the periphery. But you know, there's a there's a there's a balancing act that we see from Jesus this week in terms of once he had done that part of his ministry, he then went aside to commune with the Father to take time out. And I suppose for me that was something important, I suppose, that we need to reflect and think about this week. It's great to be active and participatory and helping out and you know involved in things but the question is are we also taking time out are we making space to hear the quiet voice of the father speaking to each of us in our daily lives it's the balance it goes back to that whole discussion john we've had before between the the marys and the marthas that we need to have both the active side of our lives sometimes called the apostolic side and then we need to have the contemplative side as well and here in this week's gospel that was the particular thing that jumped out for me on this week's gospel for us maybe to think about and reflect on this Sunday. Thank you so much for that, Shane. And again, thanks for sharing, for sharing the program with me. And again, thanks, Anne. And again, Father, Father, um, Father David Leader, the Youth Director of the Anglican Shrine in Waltingham. 
So again, thanks, Anne, for joining us. You're welcome, John. And Shane. And please, God, we'll do it all again next week. Well, we hopefully we'll be chatting with Father Luke McMahon from Glenstone. But in the meantime, we're going with a final piece of music. Maybe it's uh, appropriate that we should go with this one. This one is entitled Spirit of the Lord by John Ta- Michael Talbot. So in the meantime, God bless you all now. Bye-bye. Sacred Space.